We poured through thousands of pages of EPA emails last week. Here's what we found. This is The Climate Lead. I'm Robin Bravender, Deputy Editor of Climate Wire. I'm Kimmy Von Canel, Climate Wire reporter and producer. Today, we're talking with Climate Wire reporters Scott Waldman, Nina Hakinen, and Zach Coleman about what they found in EPA's emails. So last week, um, under the Freedom of Information Act, environmental groups released tens of thousands of pages of, of emails um, from EPA that show everything from Scott Pruitt's travel plans to his plans for a climate science debate. Um, why are these emails so revealing? I think the interesting piece about just all these emails is it, it adds to you know, what we already understand about Pruitt and his staff, that the administrator has focused more on industry perspective and has you know, not really engaged with the environmental community. In terms of what is revealed, I think a lot of it is what we expected to find. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can see sort of people's unfiltered responses to things, right? If normally we hear EPA's talking points, these are sort of people's honest reactions to things, as you would write in an email to your colleagues. I think part of it is to see sort of the enthusiasm for some of these folks. You know, there's some comments of um, one official when they were talking about the CO2 co coalition was saying, oh, I love them, I used to work with them, or, you know, saying that this person is, you know, really great to work with, and it's talking about a lot of people who have, you know, been questioning climate science for, you know, a long time and very publicly. We do see some back and forth, though. Um, certainly in the last batch of emails about the secret science attack from Pruitt that you guys both covered, um, there was there was pushback from political officials about Scott Pruitt's plans, which is interesting too, because you can see sort of the infighting. And um, Nancy Beck thought that thought that there were some problems with the way that they were doing things, which is interesting too. And you you really only see that in in emails because that's not on display publicly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. NRDC emails NRDC came emails. out last week. It was a big batch. How did you get them? So I found that uh, the New York Times did an article first, and I got in touch with NRDC and asked um, for the emails as well. And at that point, they were um, publicly available through FOIA. So once uh, we had those emails, then we uploaded them um, into Document Cloud to make them more easily searchable. So Document Cloud is sort of a sh document sharing platform where most of us in the newsroom can upload big documents. Everyone in the newsroom can see them and you can sort of add public notes, which is a good way to share information there. And then from there, um, just started to search for some keywords to look at you know, names of people who we suspected would be um, involved in this correspondence, topics of conversation that would be relevant, and proceeded from there. How yeah, about you, it's amazing. Well, it's amazing that we got I don't know, half a dozen or between the whole organization at E and E, we got probably at least a dozen stories out of these two batches of emails. Unique stories. Yeah, I've got a heap of stories in front of me. So Scott's story: Pruitt got climate tips from groups backed by GOP mega donors. Nina has a story: climate will not be on the agenda from some emails. Um, another Nina story: emails reveal behind-the-scenes plans for climate debate. And then Zach Coleman's cheeseburgers run $17 at Pruitt's favorite DC joint. So those are just a few of the email stories we got last week. 
So, Nina, you had an interesting look at a meeting uh, Pruitt had with a cardinal in Rome. So it looks like there's a quote that caught your eye from Pruitt's aide, Samantha Dravis, who said, I'm at dinner with Cardinal Pell and Mr. Pruitt. Why did that line get your attention? Well, I've been sort of unofficially covering the religion beat, so anything that has to do with Pruitt and anyone like a person of faith or a faith leader is interesting to me just on its face. So I decided to do a little searching about who this guy was. And as I was Googling, I noticed that he's also facing sex abuse charges. And that was really interesting that uh, the administrator would meet with him. Yeah. And, and Pruitt talked about climate change with him, right? Right. And so apparently this particular cardinal has said some really critical things about climate science. And the two of them discussed the uh, red team, blue team uh, strategy for uh, questioning climate science. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. So, Scott, you had an interesting piece last week about this network of climate skeptic groups um, funded by the same GOP mega donors. Tell us about those mega donors and how you noticed this. So I, I'm just familiar with a number of these groups that push this alternative climate science and research that's far, that comes to far different conclusions than you know, established mainstream climate science. Who are some of those groups? And the groups include the Heartland Institute, the Heritage Foundation, uh, the Manhattan Institute, um, the CO2 Coalition. Um, so you noted from the emails that a lot of these groups were the ones influencing Scott Pruitt. Um, and then separately, there were some mentions of the Mercers being present at different events. How, how did you connect the dots there? So I saw that there's there's one mention that Rebecca Mercer will be an event at an event at the Manhattan Institute. Um, Oren Cass, uh, who works for Manhattan Institute, was going to give a presentation to Scott Pruitt. And I think it actually ended up being a little different than they had initially planned. But Pruitt traveled to New York to the Manhattan Institute um, and spoke with a group of people there about basically the red team climate debate and it's unclear if she was also present for the smaller group meeting but certainly the groups she funded were including the co2 coalition because there's references to face-to-face -face meetings with pruitt at those events what's interesting here is that the epa these emails show and, and pruitt especially is actively seeking information from these groups um, and and there's a in these emails you can see that the american Academy of Sciences is asking to come in and, and uh, brief him, and he reje they reject that. That never happened. So that was the one very obvious um, um, incident where Pruitt definitely ignored uh, advice from outside scientists who wanted to come in and talk to him. Yeah. Thanks. Zach, you had a fun story about how much cheeseburgers cost at Scott Pruitt's favorite restaurant. How do you know that's Scott Pruitt's favorite restaurant? It was part of the story of when he was allegedly abusing some security protocol, had ordered his security to run red lights and a siren to get to this place, Le Diplomat, faster on a pretty clogged street, 14th Street in D.C. Then it surfaced again in this trove of emails from the Sierra Club. Uh, it was released to the Sierra Club via FOIA. Um, 
one of his schedulers said that it's simply his favorite. The Diplomat is his favorite. So it was just a way to kind of lean into a more lighthearted story. Uh, I can't say that everybody loved it, but <laughs> it was the top read story on the site. So a lot of people did love it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, di The Diplomat's well-known um, among people who live in D.C., a lot of people had opinions because everybody in DC has opinions about Le Diplomat. Just one of those weird, buzzy, like totally sceny establishments. But it's also accessible for everybody. That's why you're able to have an opinion of it. Um, so what did you do? You took you took this line from an email from Scott Pruitt's schedule, scheduler, Michelle Hale, and you decided to go stand outside of Le Diplomat one night. I enjoyed doing it because at some point, it's nice to go out on the street and talk to people, you know, and not just make phone calls. Uh, my favorite line from your story was your last quote from some folks who were visiting, and they had a message for Scott Pruitt. Can you tell us about that exchange? Yeah, there were two women in their 50s who had just hopped out of an Uber. They were in town for a conference. They, you know, had no idea that Scott Pruitt dines there. In fact, so when I told them it was Scott Pruitt's favorite place, one of them said, oh, I hope he's there. I'll have to ask him some questions. And I said, about what? And she said, the Lower Willamette Superfund site, which is actually the Portland, Oregon Harbor. And she said, we need it cleaned up. All right. Thanks, Zach. You can read all our stories at eenews.net. Thanks for listening.